0: Alex Budak, today's guest is a social entrepreneur, change maker, and faculty member at the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley. He's also the author of *Becoming a Changemaker, A Step-by-Step Manual for Change Making*. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good Show, where we empower you. Alex, thanks for coming back on the show. It is so good to see you again. Uh, you know, we go back uh, over a decade now since we first connected, and uh, boy, what a stellar career you're having. So thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, Devin, the feeling's absolutely mutual. Uh, thanks for having me back. Great to be with you. Oh, it, it, it it's exciting. And of course, now you've written a book, an amazing book. Uh, people are just loving it. The, the praise for the book is really impressive. But uh, the book Becoming a Changemaker is the same name you have for your class at Berkeley, where you uh, teach. Uh, tell us about the book. It's a dream come true to be
1: writing this book. But I have to say, you know, Devin, you've written a few books. I'm a reluctant author. So I did not set out to write a book. I'm um, a skeptical author. Uh, but as you mentioned, I teach this class at UC Berkeley called Becoming a Changemaker. Um and I had enough students that came up to me after the class and would say, you know, the class was life changing for them and transform them and it should be a book. And I sort of brushed off the first few of them. But after you know, a couple dozen, I said, OK, maybe there's something there. And so I wrote this really as a tribute and in service of them um, that got me past my lack of grammar, among other things, to just, you know, get this book out into the world, to take the magic of this Berkeley class and make it accessible to folks around the world. It follows the same structure as my UC Berkeley class. We start with understanding what is a change maker mindset? What are some of the traits that great changemakers have in common, irrespective of roles or of sectors? And it's based on some of the original research that I've done, something called the Changemaker Index, a longitudinal study of how change makers develop over time. From there, the second big block is changemaker leadership. So we look at what does it take to actually lead change today? What are some of those old-fashioned models of leadership? How can we reinvent that for today? things like influence without formal authority and using vision as a way to catalyze change and bring others along the change journey with you. And then the third part which brings both the mindset and leadership together is change maker action. So how do you take those really challenging but crucial first steps of action and it's grounded in empathy because you know I've been a social entrepreneur social entrepreneur I know how hard it is to take action. And so we look at what we can learn from engineers and artists and athletes and all kinds of other folks about, you know, how do you take those first steps and how can you make change feel a little less scary and a little less overwhelming?
0: Yeah. The last time I had you on the show, uh, you taught me uh, a profoundly important principle, and I have reflected on this over and over and over again, but y- you explained how you teach resilience in your class. And I I hadn't really thought about it as being a teachable skill. And yet you described it as, as, as something. And so you teach your students to go out and fail at something mm-hmm. in the next 15 minutes, right? Uh, And so they have to go out and say, ask a a student with an umbrella to walk them across campus in the rain or whatever difficult thing, just so they can get someone to say no, so they can achieve a failure quickly and come back and report on. And and I I began to appreciate that, yes, we can learn to be more resilient. And so all of these things in the book are kind of like that, aren't they? They're, They're they're skills that we often think of as character traits that are innate or inherited. But, but what you've been able to prove over and over again is there are skills you can
1: learn, right? That's exactly right. And so you'll find throughout the book, I've I've actually brought in some of these original exercises I had my students do that's usually only available to Berkeley students, make it accessible to all. So you will be able to try some of those out for yourself if you read the book. But yeah, that's exactly right. That we so often think that our abilities, our skills are fixed, that we're sort of born one way or the other. And now, you know, we think about something like risk-taking. I think, of course, there is sort of a biology behind it. We might think about those of you that have taken the big five personality tests. You know, there's something called openness. And that sort of says, like, what's our biological openness to risk and new things? But regardless of where you naturally fall on the nature scale, I really believe on the nurture scale, we can push ourselves and we can challenge ourselves, and that all these things are learnable and achievable. And that's really the great fun of being in front of a classroom and taking a diverse group of students, all coming with different lived experiences, different backgrounds, different levels of comfort with change, but all pushing them to kind of get to that next level in their development. And I think they see, and I hope that readers of the book will see that as you sort of conquer one of these things, you realize it's a really virtuous cycle and that you can build resilience, you can build empathy, you can build curiosity. And once you start doing it, you know, the sky's the limit. Some really wonderful things happen as a result.
0: Yeah. In the book, you kick off with a story of Hannah, one of your students who uh, comes to class with a very dour expression on her face and you reach out to her to find out uh, what's wrong? Uh, share the story and the lesson you got from that or help teach her. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm used to having a pretty happy
1: class. Uh, part of it is that I refuse to teach class at 8 a.m. because I wouldn't have taken an 8 a.m. class. So she's <laughs> usually pretty happy. And so when Hannah was sitting there, like really arms crossed, kind of dour look on her face, yeah. tell someone was wrong, reached out to her because, you know, students are always facing battles I may not be privy to. Uh, but she sort of opened up to me in office hours. She said, look, I have given up hope on being a change maker. Um, she had told me about she was doing an internship this past summer where she was trying to drive forward a new diversity, equity, inclusion effort in the office. And while her direct manager was supportive, she kept running into roadblock after roadblock, both sort of personal as well as systemic. And ultimately her DI efforts just fell flat. And because of that, she started telling herself a number of stories One of which is that change is never possible, and that she couldn't be that agent of change. Now, I think there was still something about her, still some little spark, because the next semester she did still sign up for a class called "Becoming a Change Maker," and so I think she had that in her. We started sort of working through, you know, what some of those beliefs were and how we might start challenging them. So we brought in some ideas from positive applied psychology. That's Martin Seligman at University of Pennsylvania. He talks about how we can fans. have setbacks, yeah, about, um, you know, a setback happens, ask ourselves, is it personal, is it permanent, is it pervasive, is it that you yourself are the only one that have failed? Well, no, look at the case of Hannah that, you know, she was trying to lead change as a very low level status. An uh, intern. Intern, a temporary intern at that. Uh, so it's probably not personal. It's not about her. You know, pervasiveness is this one failure, um, emblematic of failures throughout your life. Like, no, she's doing great in school. She's doing all kinds of other things. <laughs> she's so, in but- Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, one step at one part in her life. And then permanence. And that's where she was really struggling because she said, look, I tried once, it didn't work. It's not possible. And so we worked through his three P model to help her kind of get a new perspective on things. But then where things totally changed for her is when she started realizing that she actually was a change maker. One of my favorite assignments in the whole class it's something called the changemaker of the week. So I ask each student throughout the semester, they have to choose one person, alive or dead, famous or not, and they have to make the case to the class using persuasive arguments, critical thinking, why this person is a changemaker, how they embody some of the traits that we learn in the class. And I love the assignment because that means at the end of the semester, not only have other students, but also I get introduced to dozens of new changemakers um, that inspire me. We see that changemakers come from all walks of life. OK, so she does this assignment and she chooses someone who personally inspired her, a woman that had overcome a lot of adversity to still lead change. So she does a presentation. She did a great job. She sent me an email, still perhaps a bit of imposter syndrome, saying, you know, sorry, I did my best, but it, it wasn't that good. And I responded back to her, are you crazy? That was a wonderful presentation. It was really moving. And in fact, the next day, another student emailed me and said that because of Hannah's presentation, she now had a new spark of change making in her. And I shared that note with Hannah and she was speechless. And in that yeah. moment, she realized that not only had she become a changemaker, she had helped someone else become a changemaker, which is one of the most powerful things yeah. that you can do. And yeah. that got her past all those setbacks. And she
0: realized, yeah, I'm a changemaker. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's amazing and profound what you're learning. Now, I think it's important for the audience who may not be familiar with your entire history here. Uh, that you are a, a real deal social entrepreneur yourself and you know you and i first encountered one another when you were running uh start some good a social enterprise oriented crowdfunding site uh talk a little bit about your personal experience as a social entrepreneur
1: Well, as anyone who's a social entrepreneur listening to this can
0: identify, it is an
1: absolute roller coaster. Some of the highest highs in my career, some of the lowest lows, and sometimes those highs and lows happened in the same day. I mean, it's just an absolute roller coaster ride. It was exhilarating. It was exhausting. Um, One of the great joys is that by running a platform that supported changemakers all around the world and all different scales, so from like the early stage to the more developed had this wonderful sort of vantage point into the social enterprise ecosystem. I got to see trends that a lot of other people don't see. I got to see that like mobile health tech was really taking off because we saw a lot of people raising funds for that. And that was a great joy because it also gave me a sense of community. That's one of the things that's been I think central to my whole personal and professional life is a sense of community. And, you know, in my class at Berkeley, in the book, I talk about how change making is a team sport. I think that we tend to put the lone innovator, the lone entrepreneur up on a pedestal. And, you know, I say this as a social entrepreneur myself, um, not all of us can nor should be social entrepreneurs. Not all of us have the same risk tolerance. Not all of us through systemic and other factors have access to the same capital. So not all of us should set out to be entrepreneurs. But I do believe each of us can be changemakers. And so that's the experience that kind of drove me forward by seeing that social entrepreneurship was one amazing way to catalyze change. I did so alongside my co-founder, Tom Dawkins, whom you've also interviewed on your show. Um, But it's not the only way. And so I kind of got inspired to broaden out that aperture a little bit as I thought about, well, who could we involve in change and how can
0: we involve as many people as possible? Oh, it's uh, your history is so profound, and I'm excited that you're bringing this now from the classroom into an accessible book. The book isn't overly long. This is this is not a textbook for your students in the traditional textbook sense of the word, though I suspect your students will read it and maybe assign to. But it's it's a this is a a book for change makers, not for academics, right? That's
1: exactly right. And I refuse to be the professor that assigns his own book to students, so it's optional for them. If they want to read it, they can. Uh, They don't have to, but I hope that many others will. And actually, it's been wonderful to see that a number of universities around the country, actually around the world, we're in seven different countries so far, have adopted this as a textbook for their class. It's wonderful to see other people are taking it on. But yeah, one of the driving factors for this is that I think academics they love or we love to overcomplicate the world for people. We love to use big jargony words and feel sort of exclusive. And so in the writing, I hope you find it really simple, really clear, not that the ideas aren't complex, they are, but that the reading is simple and accessible. And I want someone who's a 14-year-old to be able to take advantage of the readings just as much as a 40-year-old or an 80-year-old, that it kind of reaches people where they are. And I think inclusive and engaging language is a big part of that.
0: Yeah. Well... Um, this is wonderful. You have done so much. I, I think now you're 16 or 17. Uh, and I look at all that you have done in your young life. And uh, I'm, I'm just amazed. Uh, what is your superpower? I mean, I think a superpower is that I'm comfortable with
1: not being good at a lot of stuff. I see among a lot of people that we feel like we have to be good at everything And I've sort of learned in my life that there are some things that I'm good at. And there's a lot of things that I'm really bad at. Devin, if you want someone to go fix your home, don't call on me. I'm not the right person for that. If you need someone to do your taxes, I'm not the right person for that. Um, But I've gotten comfortable that there's a couple things that I really, really love. And when I find both that passion, that sense of purpose and things that give me energy, I can go big on that. So I found that... Teaching is just my calling. It's what I've meant to be doing. I love being in front of a classroom. I feel that sense of flow where a two-hour class just flies by and I don't even know because I'm just so immersed in the experience. Um, and I think that's only possible because I'm willing to say there's a hundred of other things that you know maybe with a ton of hard work, a ton of energy, I could get decent at, but I'm kind of okay with not being great at it in service of really
0: playing to my strengths and playing to my passions. Yeah. That uh, that is such a an important uh, superpower that ability to live with the the discomfort of maybe not being great at something, uh, but it you know there's good data I think that to suggest that uh, there's power in that right because the things that make people exceptional are the things they're really good at, not not an ability to be good at everything. Uh, it's an ability to be good at something. And so part and parcel of that is being able to accept that you're not good (laughs) at some things. So I I love that. I just love that. Can you think of an example uh, that you could share of a time in your life or career uh, when you have specifically leveraged that power to accomplish something? Um, That's a tricky one. Because I'm really asking for a time when you accepted that you couldn't do something and then were able to do it. <laughs> but Do you have it? Can you think of a time that you were able to do something because of that superpower? Yeah, well, I kind of think it back to my,
1: my book launch. And it's a funny thing about writing a book, and you know this well, I'm sure, is that um, we think that the main skill in writing a book is writing the book. But actually, a really important skill is the kind of marketing promotion of the book. And that's something that feels really uncomfortable to me. One of my core values is humility. And so I'm just not a guy that's going to stand up and, you know, get a billboard for myself and like, look at me. And um, in doing the book launch, I got a lot of advice from people that, you know, worked for them, but I think is honestly not great advice. You know, they're saying things like play around with Amazon categories and, you know, imagine that you have... A book where you tell a story about a gardener, well, then list yourself in the Amazon category for gardening because that's less competitive than leadership, and you could be an Amazon top seller, right? There's all these kind of like tricks you can pull. Didn't feel right to me. And so instead, I I had to think about, well, what are my actual strengths here? What am I not good at? And then what am I actually good at? And um, I also realized that a number of books go into this with huge PR budgets. You know, people pay $10,000, $15,000 a month to get PR. I said, I can't do that. Where I can compete is I have a number of students who are really passionate about this class. And so I built a team, the Changemaker book launch team, 24 students in my class who helped me with everything, everything from like designing graphics to perhaps the most uh, cogent example talking about here, things I'm not good at, is together we created a TikTok channel. And in it, I totally delegated. My job was just to get in front of a camera, come up with ideas, talk, (laughs) and then they handled everything else. They handled the graphics, handled the editing, and and so on. Um, Yeah. In saying yeah. that these things I'm not good at, I'm not trying to make the case that we shouldn't have a growth mindset. We shouldn't try things. I think that's really important. You should try a lot of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Greg McCune, uh, author of Essentialism, he says, essentialists, um, try more things than others, but commit to fewer. And that's kind of an approach that I tried to take, which is I want to try TikTok, so I'm putting myself out there. But I'm also saying that my sort of strength would be you yeah. know, coming up with the content, doing the 30 second clip, but then someone else is probably better at putting it together. And it became this really beautiful collaboration, kind of a cross-generational collaboration, Gen Z and me, a millennial, um, put together some really cool videos. And I think that would not have been possible and certainly would have reached those levels if I said, no, nah, I'm going to do this all myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a profound example. That's just exactly what I was hoping you could share and, uh, I couldn't have scripted it better as fiction and uh, so thank you for using that example that's great now let's go to the next step i i I don't think you call this out specifically in your book Uh, i haven't finished reading it so maybe maybe i'll get to this chapter but how would you coach someone to accept this? You talk about a growth mindset in the book and so many of the other things you've talked about today, but how would you coach someone to accept the, this idea that I'm not good at everything and that's okay? How do you yeah. do that? Um, the first is recognize that
1: change making is a, a team sport that I believe you're going to do your most important work through and with other people. So there's a mindset shift that has to happen here. Um, I see this a lot in my students at Berkeley who are high achievers and they want to kind of take things on themselves. Because if you look at how they've gotten to where they are, it's because they've done everything themselves. You do really well on individual contributor tasks, whether that's the SAT or AP chemistry tests or whatever. Uh, but then the real world and certainly the world of change making, requires working through and with others. So I think two shifts that I make here. The first is I'm inspired by I had one of my favorite changemakers, Sid Espinoza. He's the first ever Latino mayor of Palo Alto, California. And at the time he was a VP of philanthropy at Microsoft. He came to speak to my class and a student asked the question, which was like, you know, how do I create change, but without burning out? And this student was particularly interested in climate. And he said, look, you've got to stop thinking about change as an individual sprint and start thinking of it as a relay race, that our job, especially when we think about change, like big systemic changes like climate probably won't be solved in our lifetime. Um, we've got to stop thinking as an individual race and instead a relay where our job is to pick up the baton from those who came before us, advance the baton as much as possible in the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years we're working on it. And then when the time comes to pass off the baton, to not just hand it off, but make sure that those that come after us are set up for success by mentoring them, by guiding them, by supporting them. So that's the first kind of framework shift I think we have to make, which is that it's not up to us individuals, it's up to us collectively. And then the second thing I would say, uh, I have a tool that I use in the book, uh, it's called the Changemaker Canvas, which breaks change down from complex and overwhelming to actionable steps. And in it, one of the things that I ask all changemakers using it is to think about their team. Who are the people that are working on this? And many times when you start out as a changemaker, the team is you, it's just you know, one person and that's fine. That's how many change efforts get started. But I want you at the very beginning To think about what are your unique strengths? What are things that give you energy? And then how can you build a team around that? Recognize what you are uniquely good at. And then have the humility to say, well, what could other people do? Now, I also recognize that sometimes that's not a luxury of having a team of five people right away. But I love the words of Joel, who's the CEO of the company Buffer. Uh, And he talks about the job of a CEO is to fire yourself. And so maybe you start off as a social entrepreneur and you have five jobs. You're the CMO, you're the CFO, you're the CEO, et cetera. And then as soon as you get a little bit of budget or you convince someone to join you who's you know, better than you at marketing, you fire yourself for marketing, let them take it. And then as soon as you can hire a CFO, you fire yourself in finance and you keep going keep going and keep going until you find that thing that you're uniquely good at. So even if you don't know exactly what it is yet, think about how can you fire yourself as you go along, as you're doing things. And again, in the start some good days, I was doing a ton of things I was bad at. But as soon as we could get, for instance, a social media manager, and I'm like, wow, they're really good at this and they have way more fun at
0: it than I do, perfect. Time for them to run with it. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. And it, it really is helpful to see how powerful the ability to recognize your own weaknesses can be. Uh, and in a strategic, thoughtful way, it's not about. Uh, overcoming weakness. It's about recognizing, acknowledging them, and 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 letting someone else do that stuff. It, it's really, really helpful. I really appreciate that. It's such a great insight. Well, Alex, it's been a thrill to have you on the show today. Uh, before we wrap up, I want you to take a minute and tell people how to find the book. Uh, let's make sure no one uh, is confused about the how to find Becoming a Changemaker out there uh, and how they can connect with you, social media or otherwise, uh, if they want to be in touch.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. So you can go to changemakerbook.com. We've got links there. and You can buy it really anywhere you buy books. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lots of local retailers as well. And you can, can find all those links at changemakerbook.com. Um, If you're curious to take a look at what your greatest strength as a changemaker is, you can go to changemakerbook.com slash index, and you can actually take that survey that I mentioned early on, that longitudinal study of changemakers, and then would love to connect with you. One of the greatest joys I have as a teacher and a writer and a speaker is meeting with people wherever they are on their changemaker journey. So best way to reach me is through LinkedIn, which is my main social media platform. So just my name, Alex Budak, Um, would love to connect with you there. And tell me about your own changemaker journey. Let me know I can support you in it. Changemaking is a team sport, and would love to be there for you.
0: Yeah, oh, fantastic. Well, Alex, thank you very much for being with us today. I, I, I believe so firmly in the quality of your writing, the quality of your insights, uh, the power of the lessons you're teaching, that I hope you sell about 7.9 billion copies of the book. I think that would be just great. We're pulling for you, my friend. Devin, thanks so much for your kind words and for having me today. Really a joy to be with you. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devinthorpe.com. Then, let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.